You're listening to the Overeaters Anonymous Mid-Peninsula Podcast. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. For more information, please visit oamidpeninsula.org. Y'all know me. I'm going to go with the name Sammy this time. Um, Hi, Sammy. Hi, Sammy. Been in the HUB program since December 2018. Um, That seems like a long time ago. Um, And uh, and I, I sit here in front of you still wondering how the first 30 days went by. Um, the first 30 days in the how program, we do like 30 questions and, you know, it's, there's a lot of important things in those steps that I'm paying closer attention to this year when I've spent a whole of January in step one, whole of February in step two, and uh, so on. When I think about it, I think it was mostly the first 30 days was about how the hell am I going to keep food away from me? and just planning everything around that. But when uh, I got an opportunity to sponsor somebody, I'm looking at step one and step two going, how the hell am I going to tell them how to do these things when I just like, you know, it it just felt like a storm hit me and you just went the direction it took you. Um, Step one, powerless over food. yeah, we all find ourselves in the meeting here, and that's like a big, honest stare at the mirror. It's like, I guess you need to go to a place where people have experienced relief, and uh, they could probably tell you how to do this thing. The came to believe part is harder. Different people have different backgrounds in religion. I was raised Hindu, so there are like a million gods to choose from. So it's basically like your, you know, dignity of choice. Pick your own plan of eating, own plan on what you want to listen to, but listen to something higher than uh, your own council of members in your head. So it's easy, much like abstinence, to grab onto faith when you're little. Somebody tells you, pray to this God, and he will free you from all these things, and you know, or he or she will give you everything you want. And you ha- when you're in doubt about whether this God can do something nice for you, switch to the go- other God. It doesn't matter. Just keep praying. Pick a favorite God. You know, um, have a practice. We'd have a prayer room. We'd have rituals. There's a temple in every street corner. You really cannot miss uh, faith. And uh, yet, uh, the faith concept of trying to encourage children is to like, oh, you want a bicycle for your birthday then pray to God and maybe you'll get one. And, you know, that's just parents wanting to know what the child really wants. So maybe the child will say, I need a bicycle, and then the parents can get it. Who knows how that came into being. But it turned into a dialogue with God, which was purely materialistic. Oh, if you didn't give me good grades, then I don't know how to talk to you anymore. If you didn't 
you know, take care of my pet instead of letting it die, then I don't know how to talk to you anymore. You know, the disappointments that you get from God were easy. And you start seeing more and more of that, and you're like, Psh, I guess you're really not listening. And um, it's easy to spurn it all into some sort of a resentment. I resent God comes very easily when you don't know how to deal with loss and you don't know how to deal with grief. You don't know how to deal with not getting your own way. Um, righteous indignation was a thing. Um, as a young child, I had one of, I, I'm one of the statistics. Um, I too uh, got molested. I too uh, experienced a horrible um, experience where an adult should know what they were doing with a five-year-old, but they didn't. Um, and uh, I had to be the bearer of that dirty secret. I had to be the bearer of, uh, you know, being punished. And I felt like, well, this happened to you, not to your best friend, not to the other person who was not even a good girl in the class. It didn't happen to all those kids. It happened to you. So something's wrong with you. And that's because God is testing you. That because you aren't worthy of unconditional love from God. He's got to first test you. You got to somehow ace the test, and then maybe he'll give you unconditional love. So there was this, like, instead of blind faith, there was this kind of uh, fear. You know, if I don't walk the straight line, God knows what other lightning is going to strike my way. You know, I didn't even ask for this, you know, adult molesting me. And that happened because I don't know, I did something wrong. Maybe I did something wrong in my past life. Who knows? And um, I better walk the straight line. And there'll be like one small thing in my mind. I would have cursed my mother and I'd probably get a B instead of an A in my class. And be like, I knew it. You know, this is happening. And there's constantly just tests one after the other and no relief. Or at least that's how I saw it. So instead of being a loving God, he's going to love you. He's not going to give you more than what you can handle. Instead of all that thing that I'm learning in program, it was pretty black and white. It was very bleak. It was uh, being under the rule of a dictator. And, uh, and so the came to believe a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity was a hard concept. It's like, oh, no, no, I've tried that. That only drove me to more insanity. That only drove me to like, oh, now I have to submit myself to this dictator again who is going to just punish me the next chance he gets or, you know, I'm not going to be a perfect religious person. Who knows what mistakes I'm making? Um, but the key comes in to me like the came to believe. The first part of the belief that and the faith that came easy as a child was because I was indoctrinated into it. You're born into a particular religion. That's just your religion. You know your friends have different religion? Doesn't matter. You, you just follow your religion. They too were born into their religion. So it wasn't that much of a coming into the belief. So I really like that whoever wrote these 12 steps, right? Um, oftentimes I think, who wrote these things? And it's like, came to believe. So after I've admitted that I'm powerless over food, I'm going like, okay, what's next? Um, I've been powerless over a lot of scenarios, starting from uh, age five. Before age five, I was not one of those children who had her hand stuck in a cookie jar, you know, constantly seeking food. Somehow, it was not a birth defect. Um, 
but it was a learned defect. Um, it was something that I learned to go to, to, you know, pacify myself because I'm here spinning out of control, trying to look for signs for God, trying to look for signs of warning. And it is insanity in its own way. Um, but in the program, when I came to believe there was a sense of honesty, what does that belief really mean? I had to ask that question over and over again. It's like, okay, what is this belief? Um, oh, the honesty around it is, I believe in a higher power, a higher entity, because I'm sick and tired of holding the my own counsel over it. Because my own counsel comes from a long list of learned behaviors for decades that are wrong. So it's like asking uh, a person who is, you know, who's got a heart problem to figure it out, pat on the back and say, you know, with courage and determination, you're going to get over your heart problems. No, nobody says that. You go to a doctor and they are going to be the experts. Somebody who knows from a third person's point of view, look into the problem and really help you out. So a third person's problem, um, a third person's point of view was finally achieved when I come into this room and be honest and say, I got that problem. I've got this problem of belief. I can't just blindly go into this belief thing. I got to come into the belief. How do I do that? It's like, okay, what are the techniques and tools of religion or faith or any of those structured faith? What were you taught? What were the nice things about the religion? So I like to point out the sponsor's guide. It's really been great. Um, I, when I'm walking the steps again now with my sponsees, I look at these questions for my own self and not in the anxiety of the first 30 days, but in a more calmer, peaceful sense. It asks me about like, okay, why don't we make a balance sheet? List all the negative feelings and positive feelings regarding religion. You know, that was one question. It's like, oh, that is, that is nice. I can walk my way through the positive feelings of religion uh, or my belief. And what does really belief mean is it means reliance and not defiance. That's another question. And defiance is the outstanding characteristic of every compulsive eater. And I was like, yeah, get that. I am so defensive. I want to protect myself with layers of fat, as I have done, and layers of other, you know, snarky comments, witty retort, you know, I'm better than you kind of an attitude, which I thought was my saving grace. If I'm better than everybody, I don't need to listen to anybody. I don't ever need to ask for help. Jeez, uh, I mean, that has helped me nothing at all. So honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. I mean, I really want everyone to try honesty because it makes you want to completely kick defiance in the ass because if you are <laughs> defiant, you cannot be honest. It just doesn't go hand in hand. Can't. You're honest. Along with it comes certain level of humbleness, certain levels of giving up power over the narrative because you just keep saying the same thing over and over again and then look at it honestly. I used to think, oh, you're a big bone. You've got broad shoulders like your dad. You, you know, so you're bulking up. You've got a thyroid problem, so you're bulking up. No, that would not have made me bulk up to 315 pounds at five foot one something. It's, it cannot have gotten me there if I only ate the normal amount like everybody else. It's just simply not possible. And uh, mathematically speaking, that's just ridiculous, but I convinced myself that over and over again. 
And I would tell people, I've tried everything, man. Nothing works. And I want them to believe my narrative too. And uh, that's another thing where I'd be like, no, man, I haven't really tried connecting, having a conscious contact with God. How have I tried? Tell me the ways I have tried. You know, then it'll just fall off. Like if I, if someone said, I've tried everything and nothing works. If someone asked, how have you tried? How many different ways have you tried it? How long have you tried it? That sentence just disappears. There is no answer come back for that. Trust me, I've tried. It's probably what I would have said, you know. And it's like, it's in those details where I know that I'm denying that help. You know, when someone says like, how are you doing? I would just, you know, concoct a lie. And I wouldn't even know it. You know, because how are you doing means you must think that I'm not doing well. You must think that, you know, something else is happening. There is so much projection from that sickness in the head because I've trained my brain to not be honest, to train my brain to not be open. Oh, God forbid you're open and willing and go around telling people your problems. It'll come back to bite you in the ass. You know, if you're willing to listen to everybody else, then people are going to think they can control you. So don't be willing. Don't be open-minded. And most of all, don't be honest. You got to watch who you tell the truth to. These are all principles that I lived by. And when I take an honest look at it and say, yeah, those things didn't really help me. I kept lying to my parents about, uh, about the incident. It never happened. I'm always overprotective of myself. And I'm responsible for protecting my younger uh, siblings. My parents were great. They didn't understand why I was bulking up. They tried uh, every different possible way in which they can help me control my weight. They prayed God. They prayed to God. They took me to temples, yo. And, you know, it's like, let's drag her down this three-mile penance of like, let's walk all the way up this thing and let's figure out if God will listen to us, you know. And all the while I'm thinking, yet another punishment, you know. This is yet another non-way. Whereas if I had truly invested and said, look at all my parents, you know, they are powerless too, but they trust God. You know, why can't I just borrow some of that? It was more of, well, this is yet another battle. I have to just face the battle. I, and uh, it's because I didn't get the result the first time I tried. I didn't go, um, you know, tried, uh, tried thousands of diets. I'll try for a month, a week, lose 10 pounds, and then I'll stand in front of the mirror and go, still fat, you know, what are you going to do about that? You know, still not good enough. And it's that voice that is, that is disappears when I totally surrender. When I go um, and say, why am I being defiant? Oh, I'm trying to protect the lies that I've been harboring. It's like, that's why I need to be defiant. Because then there are so many lies. I'll say one lie, and then someone else will ask the other thing. And then there's another lie. Then how are they going to think about me? Just one big bag of lies holding up this like fake castle or something. Um, these rooms have given me the permission to be honest. Uh, where I can look somebody in the face and say, okay, this is my deal. It's ugly. It's not very pretty. I eat every feeling. I eat, the fe I eat for the feeling of procrastination. I eat for the feeling of boredom. I eat for the feeling of conflict. 
I eat myself when someone rolls their eyes at me. I eat for everything. And when that is the honest truth and someone comes and tells me, that's okay, we've been there. We've eaten ourselves to all those things too. And I feel a bit of embarrassment for them, to be honest, because that is still my ego. I'd be like, oh shit, you too? I mean, I I thought I thought you were you know you were here in the program you were above this, ah I guess I guess everyone suffers from it and then there is that sense of ease in understanding my suffering from that third person's point of view that I was talking about. I cannot do this program in first person point of view because my view is at best shitty you know like that's the best. Uh, and at the worst, I'm my own worst enemy. Um, it is a surprise that I haven't tried to off myself because I had tried it when I was a teenager and didn't work. And that time I cursed God. It's like, oh, you want to keep me alive? You know, that's funny to you because that was how much I didn't know how to live. And uh, there was ways and means, which was food and which was uh, burying myself into a, a achievement track or trying to accomplish something. So it was just work hard, you know, which is basically another way of saying white knuckling the whole thing. White knuckling life is harder. You think white knuckling through addiction is hard? Um, but yeah, that's a lot of honesty. And I think the spiritual principle was actually hope and I was slightly disappointed. I was like, man, it's got to be about honesty. But I think there is hope when you can't come to believe in your own terms, whether it's believing in the group of people uh, uh, who have abstinence in front of you, whether it's believing in someone else who is struggling in their abstinence and saying, I believe in that kid. I believe she can kick it. You know, whether it's that belief, it's believing in something bigger than you uh, that's going to be the hopeful statement for me. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Overeaters Anonymous Mid-Peninsula, we'd like to invite you to our Overeaters Anonymous Region 2 Convention held in Oakland, California, July 10th, 11th, and 12th of 2020. For further information, please visit oar2.org.